0: From the Valley of the Sun in Phoenix, Arizona, welcome to episode 239 of the What is Truth Catholic podcast. My name is Deacon Steve and I'm a permanent deacon in the Diocese of Phoenix. This weekend we celebrate the third Sunday of Easter. The journey continues. How is your Easter season going? Are you growing in holiness? Do you feel more connected and closer to Christ? Do you feel the peace of our Lord? If so, you're receiving a grace from Jesus Christ himself, our God. If not, I would suggest you take some time in silence to be with the Lord, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Let our Lord enter into you. If we do this, this Easter season will continue to transform us transform us in holiness and living our call to be disciples of Christ. In episode 239 of the What is Truth Catholic podcast, we will first discuss our Saint of the Week. Was it James of Oldo? We will hear a homily for the third Sunday of Easter as our risen Lord shares a meal with his disciples. In the segment Catholics in the News, we will learn about a man who spent his life fighting for life. In the segment, Truth in the Media, we will rediscover literature written by a saintly pope. In the segment, entitled, I Don't Get It, I will try to understand what occurred during a Mass in Ohio. Finally, during our Truth Topic of the Week, we will hear the truth about human dignity In the face of poverty. All of this plus music from Greg Pacquiam, who sings Our Messiah Reigns. This and more on episode 239 of What is Truth? Saint of the week. James of Oldo was born into a well-to-do family near Milan, Italy in 1364. He married a woman who, like him, appreciated the comforts of life that come with wealth. But An outbreak of the plague drove James, his wife, and their three children out of their home and into the countryside. Despite those precautions, two of his daughters died from the plague. James, Determined to use whatever time he had left to build up treasure in heaven and to build God's realm on earth, he and his wife changed their lives and became secular Franciscans. He gave up his old lifestyle and did penance for his sins. He cared for the sick and worked with a priest who taught him Latin. Upon the death of his wife, James himself became a priest. His house was transformed into a chapel where small groups of people, many of them fellow secular Franciscans, came for prayer and support. James focused on caring for the sick and prisoners of war. He died in 1404 after contracting a disease from one of the patients he treated. James Oldo was beatified in 1933. His feast day is April 18th. Blessed James of Oldo, who served God, the sick and the poor, our saint of the week. Homily of the Week. Today's homily is based on the readings for the third Sunday of Easter, as Jesus appears to his disciples. Do you know the inventor of dynamite? It might sound familiar once you hear the name. It's Alfred Nobel. In 1867, Alfred Nobel, who was a Swedish chemist, invented a new high explosive which he called dynamite. He believed that his invention would make war so horrible that it would never happen again, because it would be so awful, so terrible, that no one in his right mind would be willing to inflict that kind of terror on someone else. Uh, He was wrong. Instead of ending wars, dynamite made them more devastating and wide-ranging than ever before. Nobel was horrified, but he had no idea what to do. He also made a fortune from the sale of dynamite. And then something unusual happened. One morning around the turn of the century, Nobel woke up to read his own obituary. It read, Alfred Nobel, the inventor of dynamite, who died yesterday, devised a new way for more people to be killed in a war than ever before. He died a very rich man. The newspaper had obviously made a mistake." Oh, a Nobel died. It happened to be not Alfred, but his older brother. The obituary, when he read it, had a profound effect on him. He realized he did not want to be known as a person who invented the most effective killing machine of his generation and amassed a fortune doing so. So what did Alfred Nobel do? He turned his life around. He founded the Nobel Peace Prize, which of course exists today, an award for scientists and writers who foster peace alfred said every man ought to have the chance to correct his epitaph in midstream and write a new one alfred nobel was given a chance to make a change and he took that chance and he turned his life around he repented to choose forces of good over evil and ultimately when he did pass away he would be known not just for creating dynamite but for creating the most well-known peace prize in the entire world. In our first reading for this third Sunday of Easter, we hear from the Acts of the Apostles, and Peter is speaking to the Jewish people who said that they killed Christ out of ignorance, but they are called to repent and be converted so that their sins may be wiped away. In our second reading from 1 John, we hear the writer say that Christ died for our sins and that we are called to keep his commandments. In our Gospel of St. Luke, Jesus appears to the disciples in the breaking of the bread and he tells them that Christ suffered for the forgiveness of sins and they are called to repent. To repent. So what is repentance? Repentance is to turn our lives around, to turn our lives away from sin and to God. Question I think we are called to think about on this third Sunday of Easter is this Are we repenting? Are we willing to repent? Sometimes we like what we do, we enjoy our sins, and we are not willing to change them. If we're sitting and we know we're sinning, we often minimize them. Eh, you know, God would understand. It's not that important. It's just a little babysit, just a, a venial one. Or we deny them entirely. We don't want to see ourselves as a sinner or we don't want to see ourselves as a serious sinner. So we just keep going along our way And we're not willing to change and repent. Sometimes on the other extreme, we think that what we've done is so bad that it's beyond God's forgiveness, sort of the sin of Judas Iscariot, who turned God in, who basically abandoned him and led him to death, but killed himself because he didn't believe that Christ would forgive him. The difference between him and St. Peter, who denied Christ, but was able to accept Christ's forgiveness. So, repentance. If we are called to repent, and that is what we are being challenged to, to turn our lives more and more to Christ, to transform our lives more and more in his image, to do so, we must admit Our sinfulness, Lord, please forgive me, I am a sinner. We must say that to God. We must admit our sins, be they large or be they small. We must stop making excuses for them. We must understand they are not to be the priority of our lives. We must admit our sinfulness. And we must go to God in the sacrament of penance, of reconciliation, and ask God to forgive our sins. And one of the greatest parts of that sacrament is not just the forgiveness of sins. That's amazing in and of itself. But the sacrament, if we ask, can give us the grace to overcome those persistent sins that we have. And through holiness in the grace of God, Sin no more in those ways. And to repent means being open to change, being willing to understand that there is no sin that we commit, that we bring before the Lord that we cannot be forgiven of. We may not forgive ourselves, but God will forgive us any sin if we are truly sorry and willing to change. To repent. My brothers and sisters, in this third Sunday of Easter, we are challenged to keep looking at our lives and ask ourselves, are we being transformed? Are we transforming our lives from one of selfishness and sinfulness into one of self-giving, of love, and of service to God and one another? If we are willing to admit our sinfulness, if we are willing to ask for God's forgiveness and grace to change, and if we are willing to turn our lives around toward Christ, we can then be the disciples that our Lord, our risen Lord, calls us to be. And now let us listen to Glenn Packiam, who sings, Our Messiah Reigns.
1: Heaven and earth will be made new You are the chosen
0: In the news. The pro life world is still mourning the recent loss of Joe Scheidler, 93, who died earlier this year. In 1980, Scheidler founded the Pro Life Action League, one of the best known and most effective pro life organizations in the country. The league's mission has been to keep the ugliness of abortion in the public eye, to recruit and train pro life activists to do battle with the abortion industry in their communities, and to take to the streets to persuade abortion-minded women to choose life. Scheidler was dubbed the Green Beret of the pro-life movement, and despite his passing, his league is still going strong under the leadership of his son, Eric Scheidler, who was born into a devout Catholic family. Scheidler was an altar boy and wanted to become a priest, He remarked, I thought that was the way I could be closest to Christ and I wanted to be as close to Christ as I could be. Scheidler became a Benedictine monk but decided that marriage was his calling instead. In 1965, he married Anne with whom he would go on to have seven children, one of whom, of course, Eric, is running the organization today. As Scheidler was beginning his own family, He was distressed to see abortion laws being liberalized in some of the states. In 1973, when he learned of the Roe v. Wade decision of the Supreme Court was struck down and abortion was legal in all 50 states, he was in shock. He recalled, I couldn't believe our country had sunk so low as to legalize abortion. In the aftermath of Roe, Scheidler was working for a public relations company in Chicago. But volunteered his spare time to pro-life movement. He wrote letters to the editor, placed ads in newspapers, distributed literature on the streets, and talked to anyone who would listen to him. He decided to work in the pro-life movement full-time. Shardley's in-the-street activism was not a good fit with many pro-life groups. So in 1980, he founded his own group, the Pro-Life Action League. He explained, We're pro-life, we're active and we work in league with pro-life groups across the country, he said. Its purpose was to save the lives of the unborn through nonviolent directive action. Key activities of this movement included prayer in sidewalk counseling in front of abortion clinics, public protests confronting abortionists, speaking with youth, and spreading the pro-life message through the media. Shiloh's oldest son, as I said, serves today as the League's executive director. Eric said of the League, we're different from other pro-life organizations and that we encourage on-the-street activism. And not only are we on the street fighting abortion, we recruit others to do what we do. Our ultimate goal, Eric said, is to change the culture in which we live from a culture of death into a culture of life. In 1985, the Elder Scheidler released the book closed. 99 ways to stop abortion. In the book, Shiler wrote his experiences on effective ways of stopping abortion. For example, in chapter one, he writes about sidewalk counseling. He says that it is in his estimation the single most valuable activity that a pro-life person can engage in. When pro-lifers counsel at an abortion clinic, they come between the baby who is scheduled to be killed and the doctor who will do the killing. Scheidler recalled one day at an abortion clinic in Brooklyn when sidewalk counselors turned away 33 women. He recalls another day in front of a Chicago clinic when 22 women turned the other way and saved their babies' lives. Scheidler and the League have long raised the life and the ire of pro-abortion side. His son Eric said, The abortionists and radical feminists hate us because we've been so successful in fighting abortion. Throughout it all, Scheidler remained a committed and prayerful Catholic. He credited his his faith in his spirituality as central to his pro-life activism. He said, I couldn't go on without it. We see ourselves as fighting for God. Joe Scheidler, a man dedicated to the pro-life movement, in saving the lives of the unborn. This week's Catholics in the News. Truth in the Media Love is not an adventure. It has the taste of the whole man. It has his weight in the weight of his whole fate. It cannot be a single moment. Man's eternity passes through it. These words come from the greatest of Carol Waltiwa's, the late, great St. John Paul II, poetic works entitled The Jeweler's Shop, which was released in 1960, which is a meditation on one of the most dramatic aspects of human existence, expressed in love and marriage. The Jewish shop focuses on the divergence between what lies on the surface in the mystery of love that constitutes precisely the source of the drama. It's one of the greatest dramas of human existence. The surface of love has its current, a swift, flickering, and changeable, a kaleidoscope of waves in situation full of attraction. This current is sometimes so stunning that it carries people away, women and men. They get carried away by the thought that they have absorbed the whole secret of love, but in fact, they have not yet even touched it. Watiwa introduces three couples in in the play, Teresa and Andres, Anna and Stefan, Monica, the daughter of Stefan and Anna, and Christopher, who is Andres and Teresa's son. As far as the first couple goes, their love was terminated prematurely because the husband was killed in a war. Christoph is a posthumous fruit of their deep love. In contrast, Stefan and Anna faced a chronic marital crisis that impacted their daughter Monica, who recoils from commitment. Ultimately, Christoph facilitates the reconciliation of her parents. He also helps Anna and Stefan find the lost truth of their love, and he returns the faith and spousal love and unity to Monica. Watiba explains that love is a decisive factor on the road to destiny, where a man and woman meet. He further postulates, Man is similar to a butterfly, imprisoned in a cocoon. He is only freed through the experience of love. Meeting with another human being, allows this to become apparent, which was contained in the subject of which he was unaware of himself. Namely, he who never experiences such a meeting shall die never emerging from his cocoon. Thus, he shall never fully realize his greatness. At a crucial point in the jeweler's shop, all protagonists meet in front of, yes, a jeweler's store. The jeweler services and serves as a bond between the three love relationships. The jeweler is an artisan with a strange craft to produce objects that can stimulate reflection on fate. The jeweler is also the voice of conscience. The jeweler sees our thoughts and actions through the shop window, which is also the window of our conscience. After all, what God knows our conscience ought to know. The Jewish shop points to the sacrament of marriage and to the empowerment of conscience, which affords its stability and conclusiveness. A wedding ring symbolizes the faithfulness of the spouses, their acceptance of an unknown destiny in which they are to grow together. The nuptial rings embody their obligations of marriage. The weight of these golden rings is not the weight of metal, but the proper weight of metal, the proper weight of man, each of you separately and both together, Rotiwa writes. It is the weight of constant gravity riveted to the short flight. The flight has its shape of a spiral, an ellipse, and the shape of the heart. And all in all, this love, which springs from freedom, as water springs from an oblique rift in the earth. There's also a priest in the in this work, Father Adam, who plays a significant part in the jeweler's shop. As his name indicates, Adam has experienced the history of man from the beginning, and he knows the truth, capital T. He knows the truth of sin. He knows the truth of hope, which God gave to man despite sin. Thus, in this particular literary iteration, Father Adam becomes a mentor and voice of wisdom, who reminds the protagonist that when two wives meet in the sacrament of marriage, they remain marked by their mutual promise? The message of the Jewish shop is obvious. Love is the power that does not impose itself upon man from the outside, but is born inside of him, in his heart, in his innermost possession. It is a transformation into a companionship which lifts men and women out of their existential solitude and allows human beings to picture the bridge which will join his own and her own unfathomable personal depth with that of the other. Finally, love is a journey, a journey to God. It is the ordinary road through which one may enter into divine reality to be assimilated to it through a continual prayer, a perpetual recollection of God. As Carol Waltiva says, Love is a constant challenge, thrown to us by God. Thrown, I think, so that we should challenge fate. The Jewish Shop by Carol Waltiva. Telling the truth about love and the sacrament of matrimony. This week's Truth in the Media. Several pro-abortion protesters who disrupted a pro-life mass in Columbus, Ohio earlier this year have been charged with misdemeanors and arraigned with pretrial hearings scheduled for the coming months. More than half a dozen pro-abortion protesters disrupted the Respect Life Mass at St. Joseph's Cathedral in downtown Columbus, Ohio. With a bishop there, Robert Brennan, who was presiding at the event, marking the 48th anniversary of Roe v. Wade. Those involved, massed in holding handmade signs, chanted slogans such as, 2468, this church teaches hate. Fund abortion, not cops, said one of their signs. Abortion on demand, and hide now, referring to the Hyde Amendment, said another which bans most federal funding of abortion. Police and church officials escorted the protesters outside, where some of them appeared to make obscene gestures at them. The protesters continued to chant at slogans outside the church. So let me attempt, and I mean attempt, to understand this. Pro-lo- pro-abortion people not only protest, but disrupt a mass for respect life that's being presided by a bishop of the church yelling that our church is full of hate. What do they think they're doing? Loving? Yeah, right. You gotta be kidding me. I don't get it! Truth Topic of the Week. Lorena remembers a time after her husband died that she couldn't always be there for her three-year-old child because she needed to work. I had to make the sacrifice to go work so I could pay for rent and pay the debts that were left by my husband's hospital bills and to pay for child care after the traumatic death of my husband. Lorena is now Executive Director of Faith in Action Bay Area which is located in San Francisco. This is the story of so many people. And Lorena told her story at a recent conference that was held by Georgetown University's Initiative on Catholic Social Thought and Public Life, which, because of COVID-19, was held online. The title of the conference is Overcoming Poverty as a Moral Imperative and National Priority toward a better kind of politics. It focused on ways to raise people up from poverty. A major theme of the conference was instilling child tax credits as a way to incentivize people with children to go into the workforce and to be able to contribute to society while being able to take care of their children. If children and family have good choices, then they will be able to go into the workplace while still being able to care for their children. The conference also talked about raising the minimum wage, understanding that without a national minimum wage, people are paid different rates at different states. And there are many companies, for example, like an Amazon, that are located in multiple states and having difficult and different minimal wages makes it difficult for people to be paid a fair wage, which of course leads to increased poverty. There's also racial disparities that exist in this country, as well as disparities among gender. Often women are paid less than men, increasing again the poverty among single-parent families that are led by women is a strong intersection, the conference said, that poverty, as cruel as it is, is more severe among African Americans and among Americans of color. It also becomes an issue of housing because people of color cannot afford to be homeowners, which creates, again, having to pay high rents and live in poverty, often being housed in places where rents go up but the wages do not go up to compensate. Lorena herself talked about a time where she actually met Pope Francis, who told her that it's important to stay close to impoverished people and that they will teach you and they will not lead you astray. She said that the Holy Father told her to help those in need so that they can have flourishing and positive lives. She said, we need to constantly recognize that everyone has dignity, that everyone has potential, and that we should celebrate the first and maximize the second. And I stress, she said, that a little bit, and more than a little bit, that we focus on, not only on material resources, money and income, but on reducing poverty in America, which is going to be a lot more than that the Georgetown University Initiative on Catholic Social Thought in Public Life, telling the truth about the dignity of the poor and our society's responsibility, our society, for social and economic justice, our truth topic of the week. Well, we've come to the end of episode 239 of the What Is Truth Catholic podcast. If you have any feedback about the podcast you wish to share, please email me at deaconstevew at gmail.com. Always nice to hear from you. You know, since moving um, the podcast from one podcast hosting to the current one I'm on, which I plan to stay with, Anchor FM, Listenership has gone up, so thank you for that. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. You know, I'm not telling you this is the greatest podcast on the planet, no way, but it is an attempt, my small attempt, by the grace of God, to bring the truth of our church, to bring the truth of Jesus Christ to a world that seems to have forgotten what Truth, capital T, means. So, if you're new to the podcast, please tell somebody about it. Listen not because I care about ratings, but what I care about is to help in some small way, and this is a very small way, people to learn the truth of Christ in our one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Let us pray. Lord, help us to grow in holiness as we, in this Easter season, grow in our love for you. Lord, help us to discern the truth the truth you call us all to live. Help us to live in this truth so that we can be as you created us to be, truly free. And let us ask Our Lady's help in this journey. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Until next time, this is Deacon Steve. I invite you to join me as we discover together what is truth.